Well, we've been journeying through the book of Romans um, on our Sunday mornings together, um, and we're going to watch a short video uh, which explains kind of the themes of the book of Romans uh, to kind of refocus our minds before Phil uh, comes and brings God's word to us. So let's watch that video now. Romans is, at its heart, a letter about the gospel. It is written by a man whose life and work revolved around the gospel, showing the difference brought and worked by the gospel. Unsurprisingly, the beginning of the letter is all about the gospel. Paul's writing to the church in Rome in about AD 57 because he wanted them to first understand the gospel and then to experience the gospel, to know its glorious release. This gospel of God was a declaration about God's righteousness. It was the message that the perfection and holiness of God has been seen in the life and death of Jesus Christ, and that this perfection is offered to us as a free gift through the life and death of Jesus Christ. That is the gospel message of Romans. And as we will see, Paul shows us not only how God in the gospel makes sinners righteous, but also how this most precious gift of God is enjoyed in our lives, how it produces deep and massive changes in our behaviour and even in our character. We should be prepared to have our hearts shaped and our lives changed by God's gift of righteousness. Well, hopefully that kind of gets us in the Romans zone this morning. If you do have a Bible with you, then please open it uh, to Romans uh, chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, just throw your hand in the air and someone will come and give you a Bible. If you're in the Red Church Bible, we're on page 1,128. Um, and we're going to read now uh, from verse 13 of chapter 1 down to verse 17. So from verse 13 of chapter 1. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I've had among the other Gentiles. I'm a debtor both to Greeks and to non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am so eager to preach the gospel also to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written. The righteous will live by faith. As Phil comes up, I'm just going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the book of Romans. Thank you for all that you have to teach us through your words. Lord, I pray that you'd open our hearts, you'd open our minds this morning to your words. Lord, I thank you for Phil and the time that he spent preparing this week. 
Lord, now as he opens up your word, I pray that you would fill him with your Holy Spirit, that you'd be speaking through him, using him, equipping him now as he speaks. In the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, thanks so much, James. So if you could have your Bibles open uh, to that passage, we're going to look at it now. Um, and, and just to explain, the reason why we do this is because um, this is God's Word, given to us to help us understand who He is. And that's why we're going to spend the next um, half hour or so looking at these few verses to help us understand more what God has to say to us today from His Word. So let's open our Bibles, let's have them open. The reason why we have our our Bibles open is to make sure that what I am saying is actually what the passage is saying. Uh, So afterwards, if you disagree with me, please do come and punch me on the nose or something like that. I'm quite happy. I I take it all the time. Um, But but that's important, to to check whether what I'm saying is actually what the passage is saying. That's why we, we have our Bibles open. So I imagine that many of us at some time have had a conversation about Jesus that has made us feel that the gospel message we believe in is quite silly. I remember once sitting down at a family get-together, and one family member leant over to me, I was sitting next to them, and said, do you mind if we don't talk religion today? Uh, You believe I'm going to hell. I believe that when we die, that's the end of it. My belief is less personal. It's more generic. It doesn't offend people. And everybody gets what they deserve in the end. I I didn't quite know what to say to that. Uh, To my shame, I I didn't say anything. I simply felt really silly. If you're anything like me, after conversations like that, I find my my, my confidence in that gospel message is, is a bit shaken. I find myself wondering whether anyone will believe in Jesus or or whether what we say about him is true or or, or right or or well expressed. In many ways, the Roman world was not too dissimilar to our own in terms of dismissing Jesus and Christians as a bunch of strange religious fundamentalists. So the reason why Paul writes these verses that we've just read is because he knows his readers are under pressure Pressure to change the gospel message. Pressure to skip over the bits that people might find offensive. Pressure to water it down that little bit just in order to sound more appealing. Pressure even not to say anything at all. So he writes. He writes because he wants them to understand the power of this gospel message that Christians preach and share with this world, in spite of often feeling very silly. And he doesn't try to make the message cooler. He doesn't try to make it any less offensive. He doesn't try to take the bits out that he knows people will not like. His great declaration in this passage is that he's not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came into this world to take away sin so that we might have a relationship with God. Isn't that great? 
So we're going to look at this passage together. They are great verses. And I hope one of the basic takeaways is we've got to learn these verses. If you're a Christian here this morning, to embed them in your mind that you might have the same confidence and, 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 and assurance that Paul has. So the first point that we're going to look at is the power of the gospel. The power of the gospel. You know, Paul begins in verse 13. He just expresses his love for his Roman readers and he wants to see them again. So he moves on and explains his joy in being called to share the gospel with anyone who is a Gentile. Now, now before I carry on, there are two important words there. The one is gospel. That's a word used to describe the good news about Jesus Christ. Gospel, good news of Jesus Christ. The second is Gentile. That simply means a non-Jew. Paul's world was split uh, into Jews and non-Jews. That's his kind of, he was a Jew himself. So in his thinking, the world was split into Jews and non-Jews, Jews and Gentiles. So there are two words, gospel, good news of Jesus, Gentile, non-Jews. So look with me at verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I planned many times to come to you, but I've been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I might have a harvest among you, just as I have had among other Gentiles. Paul is basically saying, I I really want to come to you guys just just to share Jesus with you. That's what he means by wanting a harvest amongst them. He wanted them to mature in their faith by knowing the depths and the riches of that gospel message. He wanted them to see that the gospel doesn't just save, but it grows Christians. And then he goes on to explain the other reason why he wants to share the gospel amongst them, and that's in verse 14. I'm a debtor to both Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish, and that's why I'm so eager to preach the gospel among you who are in Rome. By debtor, he means I'm obligated by a command. You see, years earlier, Paul had met the risen Lord Jesus, and Jesus had there and then said, I'm going to make you the person who's going to share the gospel with everyone who is a Gentile. As many Gentiles as you encounter, Paul, whatever type of Gentile, Paul, you go and tell them the gospel message. That's why he says, um, Greek and non-Greek, any, any Gentile. As long as they're Gentile, that's who I'm going to. Uh, um, uh, And educated and uneducated. That's why he says uh, wise and foolish. This is his his purpose, his task. His his raison d'etre, I think that's how you say it in French. Anyway, moving on, it's his entire life. He's caught up in the joy of doing that. And he's basically saying, guys, I'm stopping off in Rome. That's why I want to see you. But really, I'm going on to Spain. That's my target. That's my direction. I I, I just want to share Jesus with everybody whom Jesus has appointed me to share. And and the outstanding thing about these opening verses is that they have such a a freedom and abandonment, a confidence in in, in that gospel message and the calling of Jesus Christ. He's he's as confident as, as the poker player who's got all the aces in his hand. And whatever the physical outcome, whatever, whatever happens to him, the spiritual direction of his work fills him with joy. And it begs the question, what's, what's, what's driving him? What's making him so eager, so joyful? 
And it comes to those, those verses, verses 16 and 17. They're amazing verses. Look at verse 16 with me. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, he says. Because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. He uses that word ashamed because it's a massive illusion. It's a massive hint at what he had to go through. We don't get how offensive that worshipping a crucified saviour was to a first century Roman world. Massively offensive. You know, we wear crosses as jewellery. The Roman world found crucifixion so abhorrent that to mention the word stauros, which was the Greek word for it, meaning stake, and it was kind of like the the shorthand uh, uh, for, for cross, to mention that word was massively offensive. If I really wanted you to, if I really wanted to provoke you to really get under your word, your, your, your skin, I'd say something like, oh, oh, go Stauros yourself. Go Stauros yourself. Uh, that ultimate, ultimate offense was in that word. It, first century Romans found the the, the sight of someone being crucified so disgusting that they would go miles out of their way to avoid seeing someone being starost. So imagine the offense in first century Roman culture when as a Christian you say, my God was starost. It was, in your, it was in your face sick. It wasn't even laughable. Just, just sick. And to say that work makes me right with God, you might as well just stick your middle finger up at me. Just so disgusting. And Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Why? Because the gospel message is God's power to save people from God's wrath. Look, take a step back for a minute. Man-made religion does make a lot more sense, doesn't it? Man-made religion tells us that if we work hard at being good, then that work makes you right with God. And on Judgment Day, God says, bless you, well done, you've had a good effort, you've tried your best, I'm happy with that, come in and pick up your harp. That's what man-made religion says. It says, my work saves me. The power lies in my ability to to make a difference and be a good person. That's man-made religion. But the power of the gospel message is that the Stauros God makes us right through his work on that stauros, that stake, that cross. And the power lies in him, his work, not our work. The power lies in his strength, not our strength. The power lies in his goodness, nailed to that cross, not our goodness. On the face of it, it is offensive. It's offensive today as it sounded to the first century Roman culture. 
Today, people ask, how is it a a, a Jewish peasant who died 2,000 years ago can change my life? Why isn't my goodness not enough? Why am I powerless to make myself right with God? Why can my good works not count as rightness before God? That's the offense of the gospel, and we mustn't be ashamed of it. Because Paul's great statement is that when you look into the depths of that good news... There is power, power to change us and change the whole world. And it's not a power of our making. It's the power of God to save us by his perfect will. And how does God do it? Well, when you become a Christian, you believe that Jesus is your king because he has died to take away our sin and when you become a Christian, God the Holy Spirit fills you. He baptizes you, baptizes you into a new life. He gives you a new Lord. He, he gives you a new understanding of the nearness and the knowability of God and that pleasure of God. So the power of the gospel is that through Jesus, God comes and rules your heart with an unstoppable love for him. That's why he's not ashamed of the gospel. That's why he's totally convinced of its power. And more than that, he has seen the gospel spread throughout the Roman world. And he has seen the power of the gospel transform life after life after life. From, from the most hideous, sinful people in, in our world to, to the most uh, righteous, religious person. That great gospel message has taken those people, those kinds of people, kinds of people like you and me, and just changed them magnificently. And the joy of reading a verse like this is that it once more reminds us of that great joy to be found in the gospel. Because this says Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. He's loved me to his death and, and he's cried out on my behalf. It is finished. God's wrath against me is finished. They they remind me that that Jesus rose again, that I may one day also rise again. They remind me of God's great love to drive me to do things this world will find daft. For example, why do I go to church? That's a daft thing to do on a Sunday, isn't it? Why am I going to the prayer meeting to, 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 to listen uh, to a bunch of daft missionaries doing daft things daftly overseas? Oh, because Jesus loves us. Why am I going to get up and read the Bible tomorrow morning? Oh, because Jesus loves me. Why am I going to unashamedly invite as many people as I can to everything I can where the, the, the gospel is shared? Because Jesus is Lord. He's our master, the lover of our souls. He's king, he's redeemer, and his, his love fills me with joy and unashamedness to share that love with others. Isn't that beautiful? I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the greatest power in the universe right now. Do we see that and believe it? that challenge to not be ashamed but to be confident in it oh if you're a christian here this morning look at it once more 
and, and believe that that message, the crucified God, is the most powerful message at work in the world today. But more than telling us about the joy that Paul has in the gospel, more than telling us about the power of the gospel, Paul in verse 17 wants us to see why the gospel is so powerful. It's like he kind of goes up to the car and goes, nice car, but let's look under the bonnet. Let's see what's driving this. And that's why he goes in verse 17. For in the gospel, and this is, sorry, second point, uh, God reveals his righteousness. Verse 17, in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The the, the gospel message, Paul is saying, is mega, because it reveals God's righteousness. And that phrase, God's righteousness revealed, has a couple of sort of slants to it. The first slant is that revealed righteousness of God means that God is stepping into the world to make us right with him. So that's the first point. God, if we could just have the next slide, Pete. Brilliant. There we go. God has stepped into the world to make us right with him. And when you think about it, that is a unique message of the gospel. Because 90% of the world believe that God is up there and we are down here. And God is aloof and unknowable and, and impersonal. So Islam has no concept of God's personalness. Hinduism doesn't get this personalness because there are so many millions of gods conflicting for our attention. Buddhism doesn't get the personal nature of God because God is merely a a philosophical construct. And add to them the millions of of nominal Christians who treat God as though he's a tag-along in life. Do you get that sense of which this is unique? God is impersonal to 90% of the world's population. And now can you see how the revealed righteousness of God is such a bombshell to this worldview? Because the revealed righteousness of God says God is knowable personally. Knowable personally. It's God's plan in history and time to step into this world and reveal God to us. Jesus in time, in flesh, in history, a person in every respect, but totally and absolutely God is revealing God to us. Which means, and this is really crucial, it means that suddenly the guesswork about God is over. Because when you, look, if you, when you want to find God, when you want to see God, you look at Jesus and there he is. In all his fullness. No more do you have to wonder what God is like or, or question who he is. Bang, there he is. Jesus. God in human form. The clearest possible revelation of God in the universe in time and history. It's like, um, it's, forgive me, it's, it's slightly topical in our house, but it's like um, the, end, the final of the Great British Bake Off. 
So you get all the finalists sat on their chairs, and also they're standing up, aren't they? Standing up, lined up, and and, and everyone's going, oh, I wonder if it's so-and-so, I wonder if it's so-and-so. Um, oh, who's it going to be? And suddenly, bang, it's revealed the winner. Similarly, Jesus has come into this world. Everyone's wondering who God is. Everyone's wondering what God is like. Jesus comes and bang, we know who he's like. We know what God is. The fullest revelation of God given to us. That's what Paul means by a revealed righteousness of God. God's plan to step into history. And he also means though, and this is the second thing, if we could have the next slide. He also means... A legal standing of righteousness before God. So the good news, the gospel message, is that all the demands of God's justice, because of our sin, are met by Jesus. And he's made us right with God. So everyone who believes in Jesus will stand before God on judgment day, and they will stand without sin and without guilt. Because Jesus has declared them guiltless and sinless right before God. That's what the gospel message reveals to us, a rightness before God. And that's something that deep inside we all want, isn't it? To be right with God. Deep inside we know that we have a desperate desire to know that we're loved by God and we're not his enemies. And similarly, we all want to know truly what God is like. To to stop wondering what will happen to us when we die. To be free from the things that fill us with guilt. To be free from a fear of everlasting punishment for our sins. And the Bible's rich gospel message is that whoever believes in Jesus as the one who has the power to declare us right before God will not perish, but have eternal life. Isn't that incredible? And I love Paul because he goes... I'm not ashamed of this gospel. This gospel reveals the rightness of God that Jesus gives. And let me tell you how you can receive this. Look at verse 17 again. For in the gospel, that good news, the righteousness of God is revealed. How you and I can be right with God. And here it is. A righteousness that is By faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will be, will will live by faith. There it is. The gospel tells us that God's, that, that rightness with God can be ours by faith. By believing in Jesus. And I know the idea of simply believing sounds weak. But that's the power of the gospel. It's really cool, isn't it? The good news is simply this. Jesus died and rose again from the dead. He is God. And when he died, he paid the punishment for our sins instead of us. So that we might not have to. And God's gift to us through Jesus is this right standing before God. It's a free gift 
It's an undeserved gift and we receive it if we believe that Jesus did die and take God's wrath at our sins. And if we believe in Jesus' work, then we receive that legal standing before God, that great declaration that you and I are right with God. And we will live in eternity with him forever and ever and ever in that rightness. It cannot be taken from us. What will you do this morning knowing of this rightness with God revealed through this gospel message? I realize that some of us here this morning don't believe the good news of Jesus. Or or, or this is the first time it's really, really struck you that, that this is good news, epic news, gospel news. Well, can I encourage you to look at the person of Jesus for yourself and ask yourself whether there's any reasonable doubt in your mind that he did what he claimed to, that he did what he did, that he did what, what uh, this is a, a Mark's gospel, by the way, that he did what this gospel tells us he did, that he said what this gospel says he said, and he is who this gospel claims he is, because through him, He invites us to believe in him. Believe that he is God, that he died and rose again and will come back to this world to judge the living and the dead. And it might be that you want to believe, but you're struggling. Then ask Jesus to give you belief. One of my favorite characters in in the Gospel of Mark, uh, sorry, the Gospel of Mark is simply a, a short biography of Jesus written by one of his disciples who saw it all happen That's what the Gospel of Mark is. One of my favorite characters in this is a guy who goes up to Jesus, runs up to Jesus, begging Jesus to heal his son. And he says to Jesus, Jesus, if you can do anything for my son, take pity on him and help. And Jesus turns to the man and replies, anything? Oh, wow, that's 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 a good statement, anything. Well, let me tell you, Everything is possible for those who believe. In other words, if you believe in me, that's enough. If you believe in me, that's enough. And the man cries out to Jesus, Oh, Jesus, I believe, but help my unbelief. At which point Jesus helps the man. Why? Because the heart of the bloke is right. He, he says to Jesus, I need your touch, Jesus. I need your help. But my faith is rubbish. I'm full of doubts about you and about your power. I want to believe. I want to know you. I want to love you. I want to follow you. Please help my unbelief. And that's enough for Jesus. It's all that he asks for us this morning as well. Faith, that sense of, of, of wanting to believe, wanting to belong to Jesus, wanting to know him more and more, wanting to be found in him and belong to him, even though we are failures, even though we have our doubts, that's enough for Jesus. It really is. Receive his gift this morning by faith, by faith alone. God's good news is that this righteousness from God is being handed to us on a platter. And all Jesus wants us to say is, I believe, 
but I'm really rubbish at it. Help my unbelief. The verses we've been looking at this morning, they are amazing verses, aren't they? And actually, they shape the whole book of Romans. And can I encourage each of us here this morning, not just to read them, but to live them? So so ask yourself the question, what does a person who is right before God look like in their actions and in the way they think, in their attitudes in this life and and towards the life to come? What does the person who is right towards God give their time to, their joy to, their energy and effort and love to? What does that look like tomorrow when we go to work or struggle with our new boss? What does righteousness before God look like when we have to read our Bible with our children or pray with our spouses or give time to the gospel sharing work that we're committed to as a church? Just as an aside, we've been asked by a little church nearby for help. It's gospel sharing work. We've been asked for help. And let me promise us all here this morning, if we as a church decide that we're going to help, that will cost. It will be painful. Each of us will struggle with the cost of helping that church and sharing that gospel. Struggle with that gospel investment. We will all suffer, I promise. And it will look so weak. And it will, it, it, the pain of it almost puts me off. But I tell you what, the conviction is I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. And therefore, I'm compelled, eager even, to take the hit so that we can share the gospel elsewhere. Will you join us in this? We're in the early stages. We don't know whether it'll come off. But can we prepare our hearts if we are convinced and convinced and convinced that the gospel is the only way the good news of God it goes out, then we must take the hit and be convinced that the hit is the right thing to take and be joyful in the hit. If you're a Christian here this morning, God's revealed his righteousness to us through this gospel. It's beautiful. And can I encourage you to live it out? with joy and, and, and just, just unashamed abandon, like Paul. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, if you're, if you're looking into this, if you're worried, if you're concerned, if you're not sure, then ask Jesus for faith. Ask Jesus for that right standing with him. And, and if this morning's uh, 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 verses have spoken to you, just catch me afterwards, catch the person you've come with afterwards or someone you recognize afterwards. I've got these little things. The Real Jesus, it's just a little booklet that explains probably more clearly than I've done this morning all that I've been speaking about. But it's great news. It's great news that will change us. Don't leave here without asking for one of these, please. That's my, my request. Well, even better, I can give you from the horse's mouth who Jesus is. Uh, but, but either or, or both, I promise, that's, that's allowed too. Take them. Find out for yourself about Jesus. This good news that gives us right standing before God, that reveals that beautiful person of Jesus 
to us. We'd love to share more and more with you. If you want to come on Christianity Explored as well, that starts tomorrow night. Again, ask. uh, Just ask. I'm going to shut up there. Let me pray. It's wonderful news, isn't it? Let's praise God together. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, who came into this world to die that we might live, to reveal the glory of God to us. We worship you this morning. Lord God, help us to be so, so full of your gospel, into your gospel, consumed by your gospel, that there can be no sense of shame about it. Reveal, Lord God, that mind-blowing truth of the power of it, of the richness of it, of the joy of it, of the all-consumingness of it that we might be found in it. Oh, Lord God, this morning we bow the knee before Jesus Christ, Son of God. And we declare together, he is God, Lord, Master, Creator, Lover of our souls, through whom all things hold together. And we're humbled by him. And we're blown away by the gift of righteousness that is ours by believing in him. Oh, Lord Jesus, help us in our unbelief. Help us to more and more and more be found in this gospel message that changes us. May we therefore be joyfully eager to do whatever it takes to share this message with everyone and anyone, even though it might sound daft or silly, even though it might knock our confidence. Lord God, may we... Be unashamed. May we be joyful. For the name of Jesus' sake. Amen.